Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's nice to see all of you. I've been uh, pretty much confined to our home with four small children, so to see other adults and to have conversation and interaction, oh, that's exciting. But uh, it's so wonderful to be with church family and, and friends and loved ones um, this Advent season. It's so good to be with the people that you love. And so uh, it's good to be here with everybody this morning. And uh, this Advent season, we're walking toward the nativity through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. Going back to the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming Jesus, who we get to look back upon. And as Isaiah writes and records the visions that he received, he writes about the the God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, who unfolded his plan to redeem his people. And for those of you that are here this morning uh, that have never heard me preach, to give a quick disclaimer, whenever I read from the Old Testament, I always read, Lord, all capitals, as Yahweh, the covenant name of God, because that is the name that he gave to his people within the context of his covenant to make himself known. So he is not a distant concept or a philosophy, but he is a knowable God who puts himself in relationship with his people. And so whenever I read Lord, all capital letters, I always read that as Yahweh, the great I am. These words today are just as true as they were when they were written. So receive now the word of the Lord. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out and spread out the earth and what comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for your people. Lord, we thank you for your covenant. God, we thank you that you put yourself in relationship with your creation. 
that you do not abandon us to our own devices, that you do not just give us advice and wander away, but you are a God who makes yourself known by the power of your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word today, that you would speak in spite of me, that you would use your servant to bring your truth, to preach the gospel truth of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Be with us in this place this morning. Pour out your spirit here. Make yourself known. And we pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've ever realized this, but one of the core aspects of our collective human nature is the struggle to find our identity, our place in this world. The the question of where do I belong? Everybody wrestles with that question at some point in their lives, at least once. And if you haven't yet, it's coming. And this was an overarching theme throughout Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. And yes, I'm going to use a Star Wars reference. And the movie's a year old, so you know I don't have to worry about spoiler alerts this morning. Um, but whatever perceived flaws it may have, and as a geek, I will say that it does have some. But the theme of identity that runs throughout the movie resonates in our very soul. As one of the, the core characters, Ray, discovers in the movie that she is a descendant of the evil Emperor Palpatine. The, the head bad guy, the leader of the Sith, who wants to control the galaxy with an iron fist. And so the question that her identity brings to the surface is, does her bloodline direct her destiny? That is the struggle that she carries throughout the movie. Does her background have to determine her future? Is she going to be a Sith or a Jedi? Is she going to be evil or good? Is she going to choose dark, darkness or light? And in the final moments of the movie, when she's asked for her name, she tells the person, my name is Ray Skywalker. Because the name Skywalker carries hope. That name is connected to redemption and to hope and to freedom. Her connection to the name of Skywalker redeemed her troubled past in her bloodline. And for God's people, our hope is found in a relationship. Not to a war hero, not to some man-made philosophy, but our hope is found in a relationship with the covenant God of creation, the God who makes himself known. In fact, I would, I would state it in this way, that God's people find their hope in their covenant relationship with the Lord. 
that hope doesn't come from your abilities or the things that you can do or the things that you can collect or amass. Your hope doesn't come from being a good enough person. Your hope is within the covenant relationship with the Lord. Because the God of Scripture is not just some cold philosophical concept. He's not some enigmatic puzzle that we need to solve but he is the God who makes himself known. He places himself in relationship with his people and brings hope to his people. And this passage unpacks this in three ways. First, in verses one through four, with the servant of the covenant. The servant of the covenant in verses one through four. In verse five, the context of the covenant. And then lastly, in verses 6 through 9, the keeper of the covenant. So we have the servant of the covenant, the context of the covenant, and the keeper of the covenant. And the passage that we read this morning is the first of four servant songs that Isaiah records. And this is written approximately 700 years before the birth of Christ. During Isaiah's life, he witnessed the fall of Israel, the northern kingdom, and he prophesied the fall of Judah, the southern kingdom. He received visions from the Lord of what God is doing and will do in and through and with and for his people. And he writes about the servant that God is sending to redeem his people. And the servant song opens by describing the servant of the covenant. And it reads like this amazing letter of reference. I've had uh, a, a few of my former students ask me to write them uh, letters of reference. And I think there was only one time where I was really struggling to, to, uh, to find some words to say. But normally, when you, you have a, the opportunity to write a letter of reference for someone, there's this glowing praise of, of their, uh, their qualities, their characteristics, the things that they have accomplished. And so as Isaiah records this servant song, it's almost like this letter of reference from the Lord saying, I'm sending my servant. Let me tell you how amazing he is. And he writes, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. That all that the servant has comes from the power and the authority of the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the great I am. The Lord holds his servant up. The Lord chose the servant to come. The Lord delights in his servant. And then listen to what the servant will do. I've put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. When this passage is recorded uh, in the New Testament in Matthew 12, verse 18, uh, instead of writing to the nations, it's actually written as to the Gentiles, to the outsiders, to the fringe people. Because the servant was coming and came to expand this covenant relationship just beyond the confines of the nation of Israel and brings in the outsider. 
We often lose this importance within our Western culture, especially for, for those people who have been raised in the church. There's this concept of, well, we've always been God's people. But you and I are the Gentiles. You and I are the outsiders who have been brought in. We are the olive branch that has been grafted in to the true vine. You and I would not be here this morning if it was not for the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the servant. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. This coming servant is not like the warring kings and the conquering nations of that time and culture. God's people at this time were, were familiar with, uh, with Cyrus the Great, the leader of the, the Persian Empire. In fact, Cyrus is, is referenced in the previous chapter, chapter 41. But unlike this mighty ruler who overpowers his enemies with sword and muscle, the servant does not come with swords and violence, but he comes in humility. The servant comes in gentleness and he comes to faithfully bring justice. Justice to the oppressed, hope to the persecuted. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This coming servant will not grow weary. He will not become tired. He is relentless in his work and in his pursuit of justice and redemption. The coastlands wait for his law. The, the ends of the earth themselves wait in anticipation for the hope the servant brings. And we're reminded of all of these things during the Advent season. In the midst of all the, the presents and, and Santa Claus and, and the Grinch and just all these fun cultural things that we observe about Christmas time. The true reason that we celebrate Advent is to celebrate the birth of Christ. The Son of God who was chosen before the foundation of the earth itself to bring hope and redemption to the world. He did not come as a mighty warrior. He did not come dressed in glory. But he came in humility and tenderness. He was born as a human baby. He needed to be fed he needed to be changed. He had to grow. He had growing pains in his legs as he, as he went from a toddler to a child to, to a teenager to an adult. He had to grow. He had to learn. This servant came to bring justice to the oppressed, to bring freedom to the slave, and to bring life to the dead. This servant came in humility to bring hope to the world. 
And so this servant song reminds us that our, our hope as God's people is not found in, in our, our nations. Our hope is not found in government authority or our military might. Our, our hope is not found in our wealth or our status. Our hope is not found in our own abilities to prove how great we might think we are. Our hope is found in the servant of the covenant who humbly came to bring justice. And then the song slightly shifts to reveal the context of the covenant in verse 5. Thus says God, Yahweh. Kind of reads like the, the uh, like an Old Testament prophet, which Isaiah was. Thus saith the Lord. Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. This Yahweh, the I am, the covenant God of, of Israel, the God of all creation, the God who spoke and reality appeared. And some of this phrasing here echoes back to key moments throughout the Old Testament. In fact, just saying, thus says God, the, the, the Lord Yahweh, reminds me of Exodus 20, when God is giving the Ten Commandments, his law to his people, he doesn't start by saying, here is the law you have to obey in order to be in relationship to me. He starts to give his law by saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the law. That relationship is the context for everything that follows. And that is the context of this servant song. I am the God who puts myself in relationship with my people. That is the context. Who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, reminds us of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the stories of creation, the God who formed man out of the earth and breathed life. It's a reminder of how throughout the Old Testament, when God would give his strength to his people, that his spirit would fall upon them. This covenant God is reminding his people who is speaking. Isaiah is not speaking on his own authority. Isaiah is not saying, all right, I think I've got a plan. Everything's going to work out. The servant who is coming is coming within the context of the covenant of a covenantal God, a God of relationship. And this God is bringing hope. I have four precious bundles of chaos at home. That's how I lovingly refer to my kids. And hardly a week goes by, hardly a day goes by, without some kind of fight erupting and dad having to step into the midst of battle. 
often I, I try to let them handle it because at some point they have to learn to resolve conflict on their own. But usually, more often than I care at the moment, it escalates to the point where I have to step in and bring some kind of authority into this situation. And I'll say, Daddy says that you have to share. You can't hog the TV all day playing Minecraft. Your little brother gets to play with you. You can't, ha- you can't hide the entire box of fruit snacks for yourself. You have to share with your sister. At some point, I have to step in and say, all right, I'm dad. And I'm saying, this is what you have to do. Because they'll try to, to figure it out themselves chaotically, but they view one another with very little authority. They think that they have all of this power and might. They've got a lot of sass, but they don't have authority. But when daddy steps in and says, this is the way it's got to be, that voice carries more weight and authority. And don't you and I do the same? We love to question the authority around us, the people in our lives who tell us what to do. It could be a sibling or a, a peer, a coworker, a neighbor, just a simple friend or a wonderful friend. The people that you interact with in your lives often. And you love them and you respect them, but there are times where if you don't like what they say, it has very little authority over the way you choose to live your life. The teachers in your life, your employer, police officers, government officials, they have, they have more authority But even when they tell us things that we don't want to hear, we are quick to say, I don't know if I believe that. You and I often, more often than we would care to admit, make value judgments based on the authority, or our perceived authority of the people speaking to us. And here, the Heavenly Father covenant God of Israel, the God of creation himself says, hold up, I'm speaking. I created, I created everything from nothing. I established the world. I am the one who gives life and I am the one who gives power and I am sending my servant to bring hope. And I don't know about you guys, but this year has been easier than ever to look around and lose hope. To say that, you know, you know just trust God and everything's going to be okay, it's too surface level. It makes for a nice bumper sticker, but it doesn't deal with the wounds of our heart. I mean, just at a surface level, we've seen a global pandemic. Our nation has faced political chaos and animosity. We've struggled with, uh, is the information that we receive, is it trustworthy and reliable? 
There are people losing jobs and being evicted from their homes. People have lost loved ones in the midst of this pandemic. 2020 is easily marked as a year of loss, a loss of interaction, a loss of, of trust, and potentially a loss of hope. But for the believer, for, for those of us, you and I that are in this covenant relationship with the God of creation, this context is a reminder of where our hope is rooted our hope is not in our government or in our economy. Our hope is not in the CDC or our Dr. Fauci or your mask. Our eternal hope is in the God who places himself in a covenant relationship with his people. Our hope is in the one who says, I created you, I gave you life, and you are mine. It's within this context the context of coming from the God of creation himself who is sending his servant that you see the hope of the keeper of the covenant. Picking up in verse six, I am Yahweh, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nation to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now here, the Lord is directly addressing the servant himself. He's saying, I'm the one who has called you. I'm sending you. I will keep you. I'm giving you as a covenant reminder for the people. That Jesus, this servant who came, was not just a representative of the Lord to the people, but he was a representative of the people to the Lord. The servant was sent to serve as a light for the nations, the one to open the eyes of the blind and to bring freedom to those in prison. And then the Lord addresses everyone else I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. At this point, this covenant God is not just addressing the servant himself, but he's addressing the servant and his people and all people and all of creation, reminding them, I am, I am. I am Yahweh. That is my name. Because you trust the authority that comes from a named person. A stranger has very little authority in our lives. But to know the power of someone's name has weight. And Yahweh says that my glory and praise belong to no one else. I am the one redeeming my people. The old ways are done. And he, the covenant God of Israel, is making all things new. He is the one keeping this covenant. 
because we look at scripture and it's especially the Old Testament. It's easy to look throughout scripture and say, oh, look how unfaithful Israel was. I can't believe they would do that. How could they just turn their back on him. Even in the New Testament, we see the disciples the, and we say, how could they just turn their backs on Jesus like that and walk away? But you and I are no different. Unfortunately, too often we read through scripture and we like to, to, to align ourselves with the hero of the story. But you and I are more often Israel You and I are like Adam and Eve in the garden, questioning God's goodness and questioning, is God withholding the fullness of his goodness from us? You're like Israel in the wilderness, bowing down before golden calves and idols. You're like Israel in in Judges, with the repeated refrain of everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You and I are like the frightened Israel cowering before Goliath. And you and I are like Homer, or Gomer, excuse me, Gomer, Hosea's unfaithful wife, repeatedly giving our hearts away to things that will never fulfill and satisfy. If you're hoping in your own strength and ability, you're going to fail. At some point, it's going to be too much and you will fall and stumble. You might endure for a bit. You might be able to put on that good mask and make it look like you have everything put together. But at some point, the mask cracks and falls. Your strength will run out. And you're, ne- you're left with nothing but a hopeless exhaustion. Thinking, I, can, I just need to do better. I need to try harder. But scripture reminds us that no one is righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This son of God, the servant who came, was fully God and fully man. And he came to live in humility and live the obedient life that you and I could never live. He was the one who came to bear the burden of our sin that was nailed with him to the cross Our guilt and our shame was crucified with Christ. The servant who was born to die and yet in his death brought victory over sin, victory over death and in his resurrection declares you righteous. For those of you found in the covenant of God, you are declared a holy child of the living, eternal God. That is the hope that we celebrate in Advent. That is the reason for the Christmas carols and the the joy, the peace that we find. All of that is rooted in the hope that we celebrate because the servant has come. 
At this point in Isaiah, they're waiting for the servant. And you and I can look back and say, the servant came. And he brought hope. And he brought justice. And is continuing to bring justice. He did not come as a political force. He did not come as a philosophy. Following Christ is not some sort of behavioral modification. But this Jesus came as a humble servant. Bringing justice and freedom both to our physical bodies and our eternal souls. And so churn, turn from your idols and repent of your self-reliance. Reject the false saviors that will never satisfy. Reject the powers of this world that do not have the power to save. They have no real authority over an eternal soul. And behold the servant. Worship Christ, the newborn king. I don't know what you're struggling with right now, but this Advent, I would invite you to examine your heart. What are you trusting in? Where is your hope? Are you trusting in the things of this created world? The political powers and institutions, the things that you have accumulated, trying to dig down deep within yourself, just hoping that you can be good enough? Or will you find your hope in this covenant relationship with the eternal Lord, the God of creation who sent his own son as the faithful servant, who established the covenant by his own power and authority and by his power is the one who keeps his covenant of redemption? Will you behold the servant of the Lord And will you rest in the hope of the risen Savior? Will you? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that far too often we rely on our own strength. We are far too dependent upon our pride and our abilities. Lord, give us the strength to repent and turn from our idols from our our self-worship, from our worship of the things of this world. Lord, restore our hearts and renew our minds by the power of your word. Remind us of the hope that you have given through the servant that you sent, this Jesus who came to redeem a a broken people who came to bring justice to the oppressed and freedom to the imprisoned. Remind us of the hope that you have given us, not just today, not just this Advent season, but now and forevermore. Let us rest in the hope of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his holy and victorious name we pray. Amen.